Hi, everyone. I'm Brady Volp, founder of Nimble This in the Volp Farm. Welcome back. This is our discussion on Doxis. Get your tech on. Our topic today is amplifiers, hybrids, gain blocks, everything you're afraid to ask. We've got a great show today. I'm really actually quite excited about this. We've never gotten this deep into everything that's sort of in the core of RF amplifiers, fiber nodes, a lot of other products out there as well. We've got some great guests on today including a company called Corvo. Many of you may not be familiar with Corvo, but they do some really cool technology, some very important technology. I was once told that amplifiers were sort of the meat, bread and butter of how amplifiers work, distortions, sort of a trade-off, and we're going to get into some of those discussions today. So moving on forward, I want to introduce our guest. First up is John Downey. John, welcome back. John is technical or CMTS technical leader of Cisco Systems. John, good to have you back. Always. Always good to be here. John, good to see you. Next up is Rainier Hillermeyer, general manager, design operations of Corvo. Reiner, good to have you with us. Reiner, uh, if you wouldn't mind, just give yourself a brief introduction and First time on the show. Good to have you. Thank you, Brady. Um, thanks for having me today. Yeah, my name is Rainer Hillermeyer. I'm the channel manager for the Cobra factory in Nuremberg, Germany. I'm managing the factory since about two years, but I have been designing CTV hybrids and gain blocks for more than 20 years in this location. Um, so I'm really happy today to, to have a chance to give you some more insight into that product that I'm really passionate about and uh, I love that product. And yeah, thanks for having me today. Looking forward to the discussions. Oh, it's absolutely absolutely fantastic to have you with us on the show. And then next up is Bob Simmers, Senior Marketing Manager also with Corvo. Bob, also please introduce yourself and great to have you on the show. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate uh, you inviting us to the show. Again, my name is Bob Simmers, Marketing Manager for the Broadband CATV products for Corvo. I started my career at Motorola Semiconductor uh, working on these same CATV hybrids back in 1984 and have been working either in engineering, sales, or marketing ever since with these products. So we look forward to talking to you about them. Yes. Thanks, Bob. And Bob, also, I, I want to say thanks for reaching out to me. Um, I think it was after we had the episode last time with Technetics, yes. and we were talking about gain and amplifiers, and I think this was kind of a topic that we've never touched on before, but it's so important in the industry. And I, I definitely want to ask you, I see there's already some uh, questions coming in in the chat room. I want to ask our our listeners that are out there, I don't think, you know, Hybrids are sort of the unsung hero in RF amplifiers in, in the entire HFC network for the importance of them and what they do. And we talk about distortions. We we battle SNR carrier to noise ratio. We battle distortions, but I, so often I don't think we understand really what the the gain blocks are and where that those are where the distortions talked about are are occurring at. So I'm really excited about this discussion and what you guys can maybe fill us in more on the details are. Um, I think I think you have a nice slide and, and you, you know also we'll understand a little bit more about what Corvo does and how these amplifiers work. But I think we have a nice introductory slide that can kind of start 
into this discussion about exactly what are these game blocks? How did they start? How did we get to where we are? And, um, you know, maybe Mia, you can throw up the first slide and, and Bob, perhaps you can give us sure. an introduction on, you know, what is, what is a game block? What, and where did they start out? So I'm, I'm going to toss so, this over and, to you, Bob. All right, great. So the early days of CATB amplifiers, uh, you look at from 1949 through 1960s, we were just talking two to 13 channels, and the systems were 54 megahertz to 216 megahertz in the downstream, and everything was tubes. So if you look at the top left, there's a vacuum tube amplifier from Gerald uh, Corporation from the 60s. After that, in the 60s to 80s, there was some solid-state silicon push-pull amplifiers were um, developed, uh, and it stretched the bandwidth all the way out to 330 megahertz. And then in 1968, TRW developed the SOT-115J package, and that's the same package that we use today 52 years later. Um, the push-pull design... You talked about the distortions. The push-pull design in these amplifiers, it cancels the second order, really helps with the, the composite second order. It allowed field upgradability, um, and the cascode design also gave us the bandwidth gains over time. So that package that you're showing on the bottom there, and you're saying yes. we've been using that forever, um, that normally has like a plastic top on it and, yes. and we've always seen them like like green or blue top so any technician who's ever opened up an rf amplifier or a fiber node they've they've probably seen like two or three or four of these little green or blue tops is it still green or blue what, what does corvo um, have on top corvo's a white color so the it's white green, now yeah the green was phillips blue was motorola black was trw red was nec <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and so if, um, so for the guys in the field, when you open these up and you see these little, these white covers or the different color coverings on these, these gain stages, this is what's doing all the amplification in our, in our coaxial network, correct? Yes. So, um, Mia, if you can go to the next slide. No, let me, uh, or John, you want to, yeah, go ahead. I have some color commentary always. Of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always found it interesting, uh, the mathematics of, you know, composite second order, F1 plus minus F2, uh, and composite triple beat, you know, three frequencies mixing in some regard. And uh, one way to get rid of CSO was also HRC, another acronym or initialism, as Ron Rannick would correct me. Um, But HRC, harmonically related carriers, right? harmonically relating the frequency allocation of your channels would make sure that all the distortions fell under the video and never fell. CSO is always what? Plus or minus 0.75 from video? Or plus or minus, minus 1.25. Exactly. Plus. And I always found it interesting also, the plus or minus 0.75 was strictly because of the spacing between channels four and five. Because yep. our channel two, three, four lines up perfectly. Then we have a gap, and then we have channel five, six, seven. You know what I'm saying? There's a slight little misstep in spectrum allocation that creates these distortions. So it's incredible that just a just a little bit of shift in some frequencies changes their reaction or the results or the distortions, if you will. And I, and, and now that we're full digital, 
Now we don't have coherent distortions. It's just blocks of noise mixing with blocks of noise. Yeah, and so I, I think that's, um, and I'd be interested in, uh, you know, anyone that's, that's listening in real time right now in a chat, you know, is CSO or CTB, composite triple beat, something that uh, folks in the field are struggling with today? Or as John has mentioned, now that we don't have many analog channels, the, really the new distortion is what we call, I think, carrier CCIN, right? It's really, it's those beats look like noise floor, an elevated noise floor. It just, it becomes noise. Carrier to composite intermodulation. What, what's CCIN again? I used to know it. <laughs> composite intermodulation Composite. Yes, yes. Composite input intermodulation noise, yeah. Yes, so that's then, that's what they look like now. And yeah, I can, I can tell. Go ahead. And even for me, if you, if you ask, saying that this is changing from um, analog distortion to digital distortion for a designer, it's really hard to not knowing where it's coming from. Like you said, CSO, we, we know where it was falling. It was We knew that it was an issue of second order. It, we knew that it was an issue of third order. We were able to really address that. With MER, with CIN, with SNR, it's much harder to, to identify really the source of the distortion and therefore really do something against it. So yeah. it, the system is changing, but, and I think that's the reason why a lot of our customers are looking into, I want to have at least a spec for CTP CSO. So Raphael oh, in the chat room is saying CSO and CTB is history. MER is the <laughs> only important thing. So for measuring noise. So know, I think that's a lot of operators are seeing that. Another uh, another initialism, CPD, composite or uh, common path distortion. That's the same thing of CSO, CTB. But we always said, oh, I can see C CPD in the upstream because there's no carriers to block it. We could see elevated noise floor or composite uh, or coherent distortions and say, oh, every six megahertz apart must be CPD, common path distortion. Well, it's still a second order and third order intermixing, but not in the amplifiers. Right. Right. It's a dissimilar contact or something like that. That's common on upstream and downstream. But that mixing still creates distortions that fall on the downstream. So that's just adding to my CCIN. All right. So um, continuing on with the history, Bob, I think you had another slide that gave a little bit more of the more recent history <clears throat> of the amplifiers. <laughs> Our slideshow crashed. We'll bring that right back up. So um, more of the modern history of, of what's going on with hybrids, Bob. Can you um, sure. yeah, tell so, us what's going on more in more recent history? Yeah, so if you go back to 1980 through 1997, it was more of a bandwidth expansion. You know, for the first 20 years of the hybrid, it was 220 and 330 megahertz. And then all of a sudden... For 550, 625, 750 megahertz um, happened in the 80s and, and 90s. And back in 1984, Philips developed the first power doubler hybrid. And basically what they did was they, you have a push-pull amplifier, and they just paralleled two push-pull cascades and combined them. And that effectively doubled the RF power. Uh, by 3D, you know, so increase your output of RF by 3 dB. Uh, in 1997 to 2008, oh, gas. You on that, sure. What would happen if half of that went down or died? How much gain would you lose? 
I'm setting you up because I know <laughs> from parallel hybrid device in my time at, at Sequer, uh, understanding how when signals are in phase, amplitude and, and frequency, they add together and a two-way splitter combiner will have zero loss. That's the whole point of the power doubling. We lose 3 dB on the first splitter. We double the power by going through the other splitter, combining power in phase, amplitude, and frequency. So that second splitter doesn't lose 3 dB, right? So that's how we gain 3 dB. But what happens if one hybrid goes down? You mean you one half 30, of that circuit? The, it drops by six. So anytime I was troubleshooting amplifiers and I lost 6 dB of output gain, I could usually point to a PhD or parallel hybrid device, power doubling, and say it's probably half of it died. Something happened to that hybrid. Commentary. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it specifically the power doubler one pass would have died. Uh, you would have recognized that in the circuit because it's really paralyzed inside the, the hybrid package, but it cannot die separately. Um, speci specifically, if you go to today's power doublers, that's not that there is really two different circuits inside the in the component, it's really that the FETs are combined and just the periphery of the FET is larger and more power is dissipated in this single device. And it still provides three of higher power, but it's not it's not two amplifiers inside the package. Yeah, it's really yeah. one. And, one and I, I suspect uh, way back when I was at Secor from 90 to 94, I think it was, uh, it would have been probably two separate hy hybrids together or circuitry in the same package. It was much more separated than these days. You really had focus codes inside the package. That's correct. Yeah. Today you have basically two only. So there we go. So um, okay. we have the slide then, back up. Yeah, go ahead. And then from 97 to 2008, that's when gas came around. So gas was introduced in the 1990s and the MMICs came out and they actually had performance equivalent or equal to the hybrid package and the gas gas and the mimics what it stands for so the mimic is a, a monolithic microwave ic so it's basically an ic versus a hybrid package so it's an overmolded or like an so8 or a qfn type package and inside you have your your different dye and gas is gallium arsenide the ga gallium arsenide for gas uh previous to the gas, it was all silicon-based transistors. And then the gas transistors came out and got a big boost in performance. Um, 2009, the first GAN, or the gallium nitrate power hybrids, uh, RFMD introduced the first GAN device, and the bandwidth was expanded out to 1.2 gigahertz. And then in 2015, uh, Corvo shipped the first, so prior to to 2015, everything was 24 volts. And then a big shift. So you got 40 some years at 24 volts. And then in 2015, we shipped the first 34 volt, 18 watt, super high output. Um, so it's 76.8 dBmV total composite power or TCP GAN hybrid. And that was used for the DOCSIS 3.1 for fiber deep applications. And, and that's actually a big shift going from 24 volts to 34 volts because all up until that point, all modern uh, amplifiers, 
all the power supplies, the power amplifiers, uh, fiber nodes, etc., have all been standard 24 volts. So how do you handle going from, you know, everything out there being powered by 24 volts DC to now suddenly going to 34 volts? What, what happened at that point? The industry went along kicking and screaming <laughs> the entire time. Because <laughs> they, they, so they had to change their power supplies to go to 34 exactly. volts at that point? And so what, some companies would just put a regulator in there and boost it up. Others actually redesigned their power supplies. And now today, everybody, the 34 volts is pretty standard. You're just talking about and, the power packs in the amplifier housing. Yeah, the, that bottom power supply, yes. So that was it was a monumental amount of work to get that changed over. And what's the what's the benefit now that we've the, gone to to GAN to GAN powered hybrids? What 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 was the benefit to doing that? Uh, better efficiency and higher output power, total composite power, the increase. And there's another slide coming up which actually shows that in a graph. So, so did you want question. higher voltage because power equals I times V? Did you want higher voltage to get more power, but to keep I consistent, the current, you didn't want a higher current and because that would affect our traces and stuff. I don't, I don't understand why, what was the problem with just having maybe more current draw or more, not more current draw, but yeah. more current going through the traces or whatever. I'll let Reiner take that maybe, one. Maybe I can take that one. Um, maybe one step back to also looking at the history of silicon, um, but also gas, all, you know, CTV gain blocks were always in between mobile applications and real high power stuff. So we always had issues to find semiconductors that really fit into our 24 volt world. Um, so we always had to tweak processes to make sure that it, you know, it's all about linearity. We want to have best linearity out of that devices. Uh, best efficiency to to transport all that signals. So the best, the re big benefit of um, GAN versus gas was that um, it has a much higher breakdown, um, but still very high frequency uh, transition rates. Um, that means that I can apply much more voltage to the device. Um, that means I was able to put on a differential amplifier, much higher voltage swing in case I go from 24 volts to 34 volts. Since the requirement was so high, it was not possible to get the same performance out of a normal power doesn't have 10, 11 watt. We need to go higher in power to get the 3dB higher output that we try to achieve. So the limiting factor was not the current inside the hybrid. So we were not able to stay at 24 volt because the GAN required the higher voltage. Um, with that industry changing voltage, um, we were able to achieve that requirements that were dominated by, um, by full duplex, by uh, deep fiber node applications. Okay. Yeah, it's really to the, it's due to the semiconductor technology. It was possible to do that. Yeah, I didn't want to derail it. I mean, but then it's like, why didn't we just go right to 48 volts? Why did we go from 24 and half it to 34? Why didn't we just go to 48 volts if that's more efficient or that would cause less current draw? But uh, I'm sure. Uh, but that then the boxes grow even more. You know, you see, you see the now we are at 18 watt per this little this little 
um, product. If we go to 48 volts at the same current, we, we are not at 18 watt, we are at 20 watt, we are at 25 watt, and you have to dissipate that somewhere, right? That's, that's, that's a power amplifier. Um, and our beloved customers, they need to dissipate that power that we generate there to, to enable the linearity, and they have to dissipate it in the, in the aluminum blocks of the application. Then it hangs on the pole, and the sun is shining on top of it, and you still have to get rid of the heat. Yep. John will be asking for one gigajoule next, so you've <laughs> exactly. got to be careful what he right. asks for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll need a flux capacitor. Mm. Who knows in what else node. in there? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Um, We've seen now in the slide we're also getting the higher bandwidths, and that I think leads us into ESD or extended spectrum, which is very big talk right now. You know, a lot of operators are looking at that, and I think um, uh, you had some slides in here, slides six and seven. Um, I don't know if you want to hit anything else yeah, before that, Bob. No, I can touch on these real quick. Yeah, I think I think extended spectrum is really interesting, and 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 I think it's also important for listeners to understand that it is the hybrid technology that is really crucial because if you don't have gain at high frequencies, you don't have extended spectrum possibilities. Yeah, and it's the gain and level that really, it, it's the output level that's really going to make the total composite power for the entire spectrum and then the level that you can achieve at frequencies. So some operators have specific levels that they want to hit at 1 gigahertz and specific levels that they want to hit at 1.8 gigahertz. But looking at this composite output power over time, um, back when everything was 550 megahertz, you know, total composite power was around 63 dBmV. And then when we changed from silicon to gas, uh, there was a big jump, almost 4 dB in total composite power improvements up to about 69 dBmV. And then again, you see the, the jump from gas to GAN, more improvements. And then the jump from 24 volts to 34 volts, where we're, we're now achieving 76.8 dBmV total composite power at 1.2 gigahertz. What happens when we get to 1.8 gigahertz is that number actually comes down. It actually goes backwards. Um, so the 1.8 gigahertz spec from cable labs, so the output of a node needs to achieve 70 dBmV total composite power with a greater than 42 dBmER. And that will require something around a 75 dBmV for 1.8 gigahertz from the hybrid itself, depending on the losses. Um, so after the hybrid, you have your diplexer and then your output surge circuitry uh, and your DC uh, chokes. And the loss there is so critical for the people designing amps and nodes going into 1.8 gigahertz. If the lower the loss there, the person that comes up with the design with the lowest loss is probably going to win the most business. And so a couple things I want to I want to make clear on is when you're saying 70 dBmV total power, that's we're not going to see uh, signal levels coming out of amplifiers at 70 dBmV. No, no, that is the no. aggregated or the sum of all the RF signals added together in the log log addition format, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. If you connect that to a power meter, you you would measure that at seventy six point right. eight dBmV. 
what would we be looking at at a on a per channel basis when we start to look at signals out to 1.2 gigahertz do do those start to drop down or are we still looking at at on a per channel basis of you know 50 uh, dBmV per channel 55 the typical of what we'd see on a tilt do you have that on top of your head runner um, so <laughs> The good example is the this uh, deep fiber node application, which is exactly the 76.8 dBmV composite power translate into 61 dBmV at 1.2 gigahertz with a 22 dB tilt, 21, 22 dB tilt. So yeah. you have 21 still pretty dB high less. levels then. Yeah, it's, it's that's the highest level that ever been transmitted by a CTV hybrid. The, the ultimate goal for all of our upgrades has always been. Let's not have to touch the amplifier housings if we don't have to, right? Let's not or the spacing. Yep. Let's not take two amplifiers have to move it closer because of the coax loss at higher frequencies. So can I just get more gain? And that's what we've done, right? We've gone from gas to GAN to to whatever we're doing nowadays. Uh, it's all still GAN, right? There's no nothing new on the horizon, <laughs> material-wise. I I believe it's it's GAN for several years. Um, it, but it will not stay the same. Um, it's like with gas, there were new technology. We moved from MESFET, which low gain, uh, to PHAMs that have higher gain. Um, now we have GAN that works out to easily 1.8 gigahertz, but we will have new technology that are more linear, may have high, capable to, high, to higher frequency. So there will be derivatives of, of that basic GAN technology, but the GAN... Um, Process and again, properties are really superior to everything that I see on the market. In these hybrid gain stages, people might think, well, what if we go node plus zero? Is someone like Corvo going out of business? Like those gain stages yeah. still go in the nodes. So yeah, the nodes has you know an external amplification. Uh, and now you have 10 times more nodes because you got rid of your amplifiers. So really it's just a matter of shifting where that gain is and and uh, you're still going to have just as much gain stage, and it still uh, comes down to cost as well, and heat dissipation and power, and yeah, there's a lot of uh, things to take into account. And and upgrades, I you know I have a question about upgrades. So we have there's still a lot of old amplifiers out there, and if you're an operator and you're looking to deploy, say, a lot of DOCSIS 3.1 channels out there, and you you want to start to go maybe push higher in frequency than maybe what you do in your existing channel lineup. And and there's a lot of operators that are doing that right now in order to gain additional bandwidth capacity. Um, let's say you have some old old amplifiers, older technologies, maybe silicon, maybe, gallium, um, maybe gas technology. Should you be concerned about the loading um, with your older hybrids when you're deploying a couple of OFDM channels in the downstream. Should you be thinking, should I upgrade my old silicon hybrid? Should I upgrade my old gas hybrids to gallium art, uh, to GAN technology? Is that something to be concerned about? I think what a lot of the operators are doing are, if you have a 550 or 750 megahertz network out there and it needs upgraded, they're, they're going to upgrade they're going to change the upstream, so they're probably running a 47 megahertz split. You know, they might go to a mid split or a high split, but at the same time, they're going to increase the downstream. And when you do that, you automatically move into the next generation technology. 
I don't see them trying to take a 750 megahertz system running silicon or gas and running higher bandwidths with yeah. it's not those like modulations. You more channel loading, Brady, yeah. because your biplex filter is going to cut you off at 550, 750 anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, it's it's not like they bought a 1.2 gigahertz diplex filter amplifier with old technology, right? <laughs> old yeah. hybrids and stuff like yeah. that. The whole oh, thing but there's uh, there's a lot of 860 equipment out there oh, that's yeah. built on on gas or even silicon technology, yes. and those are the ones that I would see would be most at risk where we where they're looking. Ah, I can push OFDM just a little bit past 860 megahertz, uh, but I think my question is, what will the distortion performance be like? on a gas or even silicon system in an 860 megahertz plant? Those are the ones that I would see at risk. That is a really good question because, you know, mm -hmm. originally when Comcast was saying, hey, we want to push out into the roll-off, and I never liked the idea. I like OFDM, OFDM and DOCS 3.1 to run the highest modulation, 4K qual if I can. But like, oh, well, we have some roll-off. We'll just run the OFDM and the high-end mm -hmm. roll-off. We know it's more robust than single carrier qualms. We have profile management. We have this octave now, right, to, to do AI, artificial intelligence, and do profile management and all that. And I'm like, ah, it's two steps forward, one step back in my mind. You know, I'd rather run it in the clean spectrum. But you bring up a good point, Brady. It's like yeah. if I do run it in the high end, I don't just have to worry about the roll-off. I have to worry about my channel loading. and the loading You have to worry about the whole amplifier, the, all the signals yeah. on that amplifier if they get, start to get distortions. It could affect the CCIN of all the channels below that I didn't have problems with before. Now I loaded with OFDM, and now I have problems at frequencies I didn't think I would. You know, and on top of that, I saw more problems with people doing channel loading with the optical analog links, not taking into account total composite power on the laser and getting downstream laser clipping because they just did more channel loading without derating. So I, I see your point, Brady, on the hybrid aspect, but we also have it on the, the fiber links as well, right? Right. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys have considered taken that in consideration or if you have guidance or, you know, maybe just the right thing to do is buy new amplifiers. If it hurts when you do that, don't do that. Famous <laughs> 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 last words. Uh, I'll just hit this slide real quick, but this is this is really an interesting slide that shows you the efficiency of these devices. So back when we were running 500 megahertz products, uh, you want to go back to the original slide, Mia? Yeah, go back one. Right, right there. there. If you look at the efficiency of a 550 megahertz silicon power doubler, it was like 0.25 percent efficient, and today. At 1.2 gigahertz with the latest GAN technology, we're at a whopping 3.5% efficiency. So these devices are, um, Reiner, correct me if I screwed this one up, I think they're pure class A, and they are not the most efficient. I mean, this is a very efficient amplifier for what it does. At 3.5% efficiency. Yes. <laughs> it, it really illustrates very well how important linearity is. It's all about linearity. We're pushing a lot of DC power into that device to get a little bit of RF power. But that's enough then to, to really uh, distribute that signals from the node to the next amplifier or, or the home user, right? That's, um, that's the key here. It's, it's really interesting and that 
brings me to the point where we say you put a lot of DC power inside, you need to dissipate it again, right? And there we come back to this package with this strange big heatsink and and housing. It's a power amplifier, um, not a power amplifier in respect to RF. It's more like an inner power amplifier that really need to dissipate DC power to generate the RF. So also on this slide, I like that you guys are showing a, a future roadmap to 1.8 gigahertz and even 3 gigahertz of gain. What kind of challenges do you see um, in the future to get to one, you know, 1.8 gigahertz, but even 3 gigahertz? Are, are these monumental or are these achievable? Thoughts on that? Reiner? <laughs> um, I think 1.8 gigahertz... The biggest challenge is not necessarily what you may think is the challenge, like semiconductor. Of course, that's a challenge. You want to be more linear, want to have the next generation. Um, but uh, that's not all what is inside a hybrid. Um, there is bias circuitry, there is matching, and for uh, especially there are balance or transformers going from single-ended to the balance design and back to single-ended at the output. And these are metal-wound ferrites, um, which are... Um, if you go to higher and higher frequency, more and more tricky to uh, to wind and to make sure that they don't have too much loss. So for 1.8 gigahertz, I think we are on good path to do that. Um, for 3 gigahertz, it will be very challenging to do that. Um, but maybe then the upstream is not 700 megahertz anymore, but even, even more than that, and you don't need that ferrites anymore, and you can do couplers and things like that. Um, we did simulation for 3 gigahertz already together with some other companies, and it looks like we should be able to, to do gain out of 3 gigahertz, even in a balanced design. Um, there will be new challenges, but it's not impossible, I would say. It's exciting. Let's go down that path of what's the whole point of 1.8 gigahertz. You know, it's really called DOCSIS 4.0 FDD now. We still call it ESD for extended spectrum DOCSIS, but the whole point of the 1.8 is because we want to extend the upstream. If, that, if it wasn't for the upstream, there's no need to extend the downstream that much, right? We can get 10 gig yes. with five OFDM blocks from 0.2 to 1.2. So I need to go to 1.8 because I'm taking the upstream further up. So my question to you guys would be, we, we keep talking about the hybrids thinking downstream. What about the upstream? Is that really going to be like an 800 megahertz capable hybrid? Uh, Actually, we're doing we're doing we have parts in production today from five to 700 megahertz and they're just ic's we can do it with an ic today gas it's most of them are gas ic's and usually upstream is just a single stage not uh, it depends in the in the next generation doxus 4.0 nodes you're going to be driving a remote five so you're just driving an a to d and it all depends on what the signal level is coming in, what your losses are in the amplifier itself or the node itself. You may only need a single stage low gain driver just to get enough signal into the A to D. But there, but if I'm doing node plus five. Now, now in the amplifiers, that's a different story. You're going to need more gain and more power. And it's probably going to be a two stage device or design where you have uh, two small SO8s or SOT89 type package devices. Um, giving you the, the gain that you need to get the signal from that amplifier back to the node or the next amplifier. Agreed. And I, I bring this up a lot as well. You know, we've never had AGC in the upstream because we never really need it for 5 to 42. But going to 204, 
I could probably get away without it because I deal with the, the the modems can adjust their levels enough. But when I go to 396, 492, 684, I probably need some type of temperature control or some type yeah. of AGC on the upstream. Whether or not that's driven by a downstream AGC, driving an upstream AGC, I don't know. But I assume since you're in the hybrid business that you guys are looking at stuff like that as well, or you're yeah. involved in it maybe? Yeah, our, our ICs, we've got a device that's 25 dB gain. And by using two of those, it gives you a 50 dB total gain, knock out your, your losses that you have um, from doing your either combining or switching, whatever signal conditioning you're doing, gain control, temperature control, equalization even for the upstream at 700 megahertz. Um, we feel that those two devices in a, in a, in a design driving each other, should be more than enough to get you back to the next amplifier. Yeah, if, I, if, I if I implement an AGC, I probably have to have five to six dB of reserve, right? It takes away from the gain you're giving me. Yeah. So, so Bob, did I, maybe I, I misunderstood you, but did you, did you say that you're talking about putting AGC and equalization and stuff like that within, within the hybrid devices themselves or within no, a, we a, have, a couple of them? No, uh, for the upstream, we don't think they're going to be hybrids in the future. Uh, mm -hmm. In the past, um, hybrids were used for return path, the drivers, and the output stage in nodes and amplifiers. Today, it's the hybrid is being used mostly in the output stage, and ICs are being used in the other stages, especially in the upstream. Um, what I'm saying is, for the upstream, Corvo has upstream amplifiers, we have variable equalizers and variable attenuators chips that can be used. And the people building those amplifiers can use those to build their circuit. It won't be in a single module or anything like that. So that gives them the flexibility to use different gains no. and different types of signal conditioning. That's that's really exciting. That's that's really cool stuff. And we um Charlie Maws in the chat room says, How are these guys able to push this much additional TCP without causing thermal runaway? We still have physical size constraints. This stuff is absolutely dark magic. <laughs> so oh, it's, um, it's, I think that's what we do since 20 years, 25 yeah. years. It's it's trying to find solutions to dissipate power. That's that's what we do with our customers to, to make it happen. <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> it's a little magic. No, that's that's awesome stuff. Um, so let's uh, let's do a little bit more deep dive into how you're actually you know how these gain blocks work, how this magic works. And the the first slide that we've put up is um, from thanks to you guys for pro providing the these great slides. Um, I'll I'll let you take this away, but this is a high-level diagram of an RF amplifier, right? Just a line extender, yes. Yes. Um, yeah, maybe let me talk to that a mm -hmm. little bit. Um, I, I think Bob already mentioned that in the past, all these gain blocks that you see here in the upstream, downstream, used to be hybrids. Um, these days, it's going more to really just the high-power uh, device, which is the power doubler going to be hybrid, even that can be in some application, depending on, on the network, be a surface mount device. Um, but what you see on the lower right is that, yeah, in the past, you know, you really had three, four, five, these hybrids inside a line extender um, to, to dissipate a signal. 
Um, but this is just a generic block where, where it's going, these devices are going to, right? Um, what we want to show here is really what do we need to do with it? Um, we want to transmit signals from, let's say, the head end to the, to the user. Um, and that's to compensate for the cable losses. And then we have a wide band amplifier. Um, we have five octaves if we go to 1.8 gigahertz. That's, that's really wide band. That's not wide band like for mobiles. They talk about 200 megahertz wide band amplifiers. Uh, we are talking about five octaves and 1.8 gigahertz bandwidth. So, and if you look at that gain block here in this amplifier um, and designer who wants to design this amplifier, um, he really wants to have a, a gain block as a power doppler that defines the performance that he wants to have. Mm -hmm. So if he wants to have this certain amount of output capability, the power doppler is defining that output capability. Um, you have some loss after that power doubler and you have to subtract that, but the gain block is really defining the performance of the amplifier and of the node. And yeah, I hope we can go a little bit deeper here in how we achieve these kind of uh, challenges, get sure. the linearity out of that device. So um, the, the power, you're talking about the power doubler, and I think that's the crucial device when we talk about just about reducing or minimizing distortions, right? It's normally the power doubler that's high gain, and that's where we typically see the distortions caused in the amplifiers. Is that accurate? That's really defining the performance, yes, uh, because all the pre-stages need to be back off so that they don't contribute. The power doubler, really, you design that, you design the power of that device so that it meets your requirement. And we are talking about these 18-watt devices, um, very long time it was 10 to 11 watt was more it's still the standard today for normal ctv networks mm -hmm. um, but maybe your network don't need that kind of power um, because the gain amplifier is so linear that you don't even need that high output um, so what you can do is with a state-of-the-art product is you can take off current you can save power um, what a lot of customers did you can do can drive uh, one with one hybrid can drive two outputs uh, and can save half of the power. So what, what I want to say is you really, you need to understand what your customers' requirements are, and then you can basically pick the correct power doubler, correct biasing point, and then you have exactly linearity you need. Okay. Uh, Rainer, you said you wanted to get a little further into that. Uh, was there a particular slide you wanted to cover to get into the details uh, of distortions? Yeah, maybe, maybe slide... Uh, 14 is a nice slide that I, I think it's very detailed, um, maybe technical. Um, at 14, yeah, this was we have fly, slide 14 up. Uh, Want to go over this one or the one after this one? Yeah, let's st um, let's start with this one. Um, or maybe we can go back to the, the sorry, previous well, one. Would be better. One, uh, we, yeah, yeah to, just to start and explain why we why you use the circuit. On the right side, you see a very simplified schematic of a CTV gain block. It can be a hybrid, can be a service mount device. It's it's a differential amplifier, and I think Bob already explained why we have a balanced design. Uh, so you see two cascode on left on the right side. So the left side, FET one and FET three builds a cascode. And the balanced device is the FED2 with the FED4. And that is to 
to cancel out second order distortion. So that's by design. Um, so how we, do we drive linearity? Basically, um, you have the push-pull design, which have the FAT3 and FAT4 in GAN technology, which enables very high voltage swings, and you can transmit uh, a lot of power through that circuit design. The cascode configuration, which is the bottom device is FAT1 and the top device is FAT3, enables you to get the wide band bandwidth um, from 50 megahertz up to 1.2 gigahertz or 1.8 gigahertz. Uh, and with this circuit, um, and as I said, nearly every gain block is using that circuit, basically, um, you can get the gain um, and the linearity to transmit that signals you need. So why do I need a GAN and a gas here? And that brings me to the, to the next slide, if you go there. Oh, the next slide was a table, I think. This one, okay. Um, why using silicon or why using gas or GAN? Um, what you see here is that GAN has superior performance over gas in some specific points, like um, the energy gap brings a very high breakdown voltage, which enables very high voltage that you can apply to, to the transistors. The GAN transistor is grown on a silicon carbide substrate, which has a very high thermal conductivity, which enables the power to be dissipated through the transistor in the heat sink. And finally, it has a very very high uh, mobility, so we can achieve very high frequency. So in, in that slide, you can see that, first of all, we can apply very high voltages to get high voltage swing, high linearity. Um, as Bob mentioned, we are class A amplifier. We put a lot of DC power into this device. We need to dissipate it. So we have the optimum technology to dissipate the power into the heatsink of the application. And then finally, we have the technology to to have um, bandwidth up to 1.8 gigahertz, even the semiconductors, there's no issues to go to two gigahertz or three, even three gigahertz. So we are not limited to that in this respect. So um, we combine gas and GAN wherever it's the perfect fit in the application. So even when we say it's a, it's a GAN-based amplifier, there still could be gas gallium arsenide components in it. Is, is that an accurate statement? That's Go to the previous totally page. Correct. If you go to the previous two. slide, we can show you. Um, there was a picture of a hybrid. Might have been slide five. I'm thinking of a saying there. Here. So those if you people, look, those people don't care how the sausage is made. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just want to know that whatever specs you give them, it's going to work, yeah. right? And um, most people don't mind they like to know that it does work but i i do like where brady was going with this and that's we can't maybe generically say oh this is gan technology because it might be a mix of both yeah. right so if you look at the very center of this picture on the right you can barely see the dye but there's two dye in the upper cascode and two dye in the upper lower cascode and the first dye is a p-hemp gas the second dye is the gan output dye can you use your mouse, Brady, to maybe point to where you think they're talking about? Yeah, so you have a mouse there. And, so and that, you can, you can drag oh, it. it's silver, a little silver in the middle. 
the white the white squares in the Little center. Lights. Yeah. So the first small is. white square <clears throat> is a PHAMP gas dye, and the second <clears throat> little white square is the GAN dye. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So we're getting close on time, guys. There's, um, I did want to go down and, and just quickly talk about distortions. That was, uh, I think that was on the, towards the end of the slide, mm-hmm. uh, like slide 19. So I think you had a nice slide on that that talked about tilted output and, <clears throat> and various options when we get into expectorate, uh, extended spectrum. Um, so this slide here, I think, can kind of, I'll let you guys talk through it, but I, I found this slide interesting where it gives different options for different outputs. Um, so if you guys wouldn't mind just running through this very quickly. Go ahead, Reiner. Yeah, you know, um, historically, uh, we use flat, tilted spectrums. Um, going to DOCUS 3.1, we, we, the real first big difference was applying OFDM channels, right? Um, because of that, we had mixed channel loading with analog channels and then quantum 256. Um, now we add, if we go to 1.2, 1. 1.3, 1. 4, 1. 1.8, we add OFDM channel on top of that. Um, and that's that's challenging because, especially if you could look at the tilt loading um, and investigate what that means for gain block for hybrid, that means that you add 800 megahertz of even higher levels, even higher power at the high end of the of the gain block. Um, that means, unfortunately, that the higher frequency, the weaker the gain block normally gets in linearity. So that means um, you cannot transmit as much TCP anymore. So that's why a lot of people came up with um, with having step downs. So they reduce the power at the high end, but still transmit enough uh, to, to reach the cable modem, for example. Um, so in the DOCSIS 4.0 spec, there are step downs allowed up to 10 dB or multiple step downs. Um, basically, it's something that MSOs or our customer can um, play with to see what they can achieve in their um, network and what, what they can do with the power of the hybrids or game blocks um, to achieve and uh, to, to generate a, a network system. Um, for us as a game block vendor, it's currently challenging to really characterize and um, test our devices. Because yes, there's a DOCSIS 4.0 spec, um, but how should I measure it? Should I measure it and specify it with a step down? Should I use a, a flat tilt? Should I really use OFDM? Do I use OFDM with 1K QAM, 4K QAM, uh, 256? Um, where do I place the OFDM channels? I think there will be come up a lot of discussion between us component vendors and, and our customers how to get to a standard test to characterize gain blocks. Um, so we even talked to the customers, they would prefer to have QAM 256 out to 1.8 gigahertz, just to use the old methods to, to measure this stuff. Um, and then we will end up with, with a standard um, to characterize our devices. Because you know we we are not only designing these devices; we have to test them. We have to we have to build them and we have to test them to make to enable our customer to be sure that as soon as they put something into their application, it's good to go. 
What, what's cool. interesting about this is you guys have no control over these levels. I mean, the hybrid does what it does. Uh, the levels are being dictated by the service provider and the CMTS config, right? So they can set the OFDM for um, coming out of the RPD at certain level versus the single carrier qualm or whatever. So they can do whatever they want. My question would be, what gives me the biggest bang for my buck? Which channels or chunks or frequencies could I get more return for my investment? Meaning if I take that very last block and drop it by 3 dB, does that give me more bang for my buck than dropping that first block above 1.2 by say 6 dB? Like if I drop that first block by 6 dB, total power might not change much at all. But if I drop that last block that's running higher power to begin with, like 3 dB, does that give me more bang for my buck? I, I see I see an Excel spreadsheet coming around real quick to figure out total power easily, right? Yes. What do you guys think? Um, and I think it depends, as always, right? It depends on the <laughs> on the network in and on the real in the network. And that's what our customers are doing these days. And that's not true only for 1.8, that's true for 1.2 today. Um, it's a question, you know, how low can I transmit the signals to still reach the CPE? And uh, to still reach the the home, um, if I lower it, yeah, I may still reach it, but I cannot apply 4K QAM anymore because I'm going down into noise. Exactly. But I can still do 1K. So what do I want to achieve, right? Um, I must not go too high because otherwise I will go in compression with it. Here's what I'm thinking. Block. People want to run the highest modulation they can, and we're not going to fill up the spectrum to 1.8 to begin with. It'll no. buy maybe a block after 1.4. And if I know that 1.4 to 1.8 really kills my TCP, but I'm not running any channel loading, will I even mess around with a step-down function at that point? Or will I just extrapolate my tilt and just go straight out to 1.2, 1.4? Once I get to that point, then maybe I run 60 dB lower for the rest, or maybe I drop the original ones that was running at the same tilted output down by 2 dB. I... I <laughs> I'm trying to get the, everyone's trying to, I, I like to keep it simple also. So one configuration, but I also know that I think with machine learning and artificial intelligence, that it'll be easier to do step-down functions on each group of OFDM. You understand? Yeah, I think that that's going to happen. Total power. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's going to happen, right? Depending on the circuit. On the on the network, yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I I agree with you about you know it's it comes down to what levels do I need to hit the CPE? OFDM. I'd like I've always said plus minus five is the perfect window for CPE input. It's plus or minus five, even though the specs is plus or minus fifteen, but plus or minus five is perfect. Um, but also, what modulation am I really looking for? How I'm looking for 4K qualm. You know, that's the whole purpose of OFDM. I want to, I want to, and, and really with machine learning and AI and remote five with no amplifiers, I'm hoping 8K QAM and 16K QAM come out. It's not in the CPE today, but it better be in the Doctors 4.0 CPE. I think it's doable. Absolutely. Um, so guys, we've got to start wrapping up here. We've got a number of uh, comments and questions in the chat room. Um, some of them is just a lot of good feedback uh, on the efficiency improvements you guys have gotten from 2 to 3.5%. Uh, some thank yous to Corvo for the great content that we have. Um, 
one of the questions is what would be more probable engine to fill 1.8 gigahertz spectrum uh, core or RPD? Any quick thoughts on that? Thinking that's probably going to be more RPD filling up that spectrum. <laughs> Question. Yeah. It is. Um, <laughs> and the line requirements on top of frequency would be the key driver for the step down functions. There's another one out there. That's a true it, statement. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, it all depends on what the operator wants to see at end of line on where you step down, how you step it down to utilize the total to composite power available to get the best performance at the CPE. All right. Um, we also, we had a lot more slides and we were possibly able to go over today. So I do want to thank you guys for providing, Corvo, for providing the great content. Um, Rainer, it looks like it is getting, uh, it's starting to get dark on, on your end in Germany. So. <laughs> yeah, I need to, I think I need to open my window. <laughs> no, no, <somehow>. you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Uh, but I do want to give you the opportunity, Rainer, to uh, go ahead and, you know, plug any upcoming events or let us know, you know, what's anything new on Corvo. Go ahead and, and tell us anything new going on in your world. Um, first of all, I, I want to thank you that I was really able to to demonstrate uh, to show a little bit what's all about this hybrids here. Um, I mean, we are really busy. We are still busy with with 1.2 gigahertz here at Coval. Um There's still a lot of networks being deployed with 1.2. Some customer even upgrading the uh, products to 1.2 gigahertz. So that's really big thing here. Uh, for my factory here, um, every day's life. Um, but yeah, we are really, we have been the first going from one to one gigahertz devices. We were the first with 1.2 gigahertz devices in the market. Um, so we plan to have, plan to be the first with 1.8 as well. Um, so that's, that's a big thing we, we do here. Um, so let me go back to the lab and try to do some nice stuff. Yeah. Uh -huh. We'll look forward to see what you come up with. Um, Bob, same for you. What, uh, you know, let us know what's going on, any, any upcoming events, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. So, um, first of all, thank you very much for this. It was great. Uh, anybody out there that's paying attention or watching this that wants to talk to us, please get a hold of us. We can set something up and go over our product portfolio and things like that. <clears throat> SCTE is coming up in two weeks and it'll be a virtual event. Corvo has a virtual booth and <clears throat> we can do meetings or uh, customer presentations at that time as well. And uh, I think the other thing is next week, I've got a webcast that I'm doing with microwave and RF on DOCSIS 4.0 in uh, the nodes and amplifier requirements. Excellent. Bob, if, if you send us links on those, we'll be happy to, Drop the those link? in this uh, podcast is, or in the uh, uh, YouTube channel as okay, well so yeah. people can see that. I think the link is on the homepage of the Corvo website right now. All right. People can also check it out there. John, what's going on with you? What's new? What's coming up? Um, October 14th, SETE Expo Virtual. Uh, 9.30, I'm doing a talk on capacity concerns, congestion, and avoidance on a panel. And then at one o'clock that same day, I'm doing one on the power of DAA, so distributed access architectures. And I focus just purely on going from digital analog fiber to digital fiber. You know, the big advantages of just going to digital fiber. And I don't even care if you do remote fiber, remote MACFI. 
I just want to convert your analog fiber to digital fiber, call it a day, and then go from there. And that's going to be needed to do any upstream at 204 anyway. Uh, that's going to be needed to do FDX. That's going to be needed to evolve and migrate to cloud eventually. So that is the first step. We got to get digital fiber. Um, and then on the convert on the capacity side, I talk about laser clipping, things we don't think about, people using Wi-Fi calling at home instead of using the actual EMTA. There's a lot of things that come into play when we look at upstream congestion, which is why we're looking at ESD and higher upstream, you know, spectrum. Uh, so everything's coming down that road and upstream is my bottleneck. And it's been for a long time. My last uh, question for you guys would be, and I and Brady, you probably remember this as well, is runaway oscillation. A lot of people think, oh man, these hybrids have all this gain, but you realize there's losses in there, there's filters in there, there's diplex filters, there's loss that has to occur between the upstream and downstream path. And now that the upstream is a higher frequency, a higher gain block, downstream is a higher gain block, I still have to keep how much isolation between the two. Is it like negative 20 or something like that? Or and maybe at least, you guys just at least, yeah. hybrids and whoever designs the amplifiers, they're worried about that part of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's significant though. Yeah. Something for uh, our next time that we get together <laughs> on this. Because I think this is a great episode. A lot of good things here. The chat room is on fire. And I want to shout out to Charlie Moss. Uh, he's been doing a great job. We seems like we always get a good moderator in the chat room that helps us me out. So I don't have to answer all the questions. So thank you, Charlie, <laughs> for the help in that. Um, Rainier, thank you. Bob, thank you. And John, thank you for the great conversation today. And thanks to all of our listeners who've been participating in the chat room and making this a great episode. We will be back in, we'll be back next Friday with another episode as well on PNM. So please do join back. Thanks everyone for listening. Do hit, give us a thumbs up if you like what uh, the content that you saw. And please do hit subscribe. We love our subscribers. Uh, so you get notified the next time that we, we get online and have another tech talk on doxis things we like to talk about and and hybrids and everything else so tune in see you next time thanks for joining everyone so long all right thanks thanks all bye bye thank you guys